0: Please turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is, everlasting, is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and, my, and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed and f- fancies the visions of, of my head alarmed me. I right, we'll jump down to verse 19 to the end of the chapter. The Dan- Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dreams or the interpretation alarm you. But the answered and said, My Lord, may the, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, it was a vision to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruits abundant, in which was, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the fields found shade and in whose branches and the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who gave... This is the interpretation, O King, is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of the heavens, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he wills. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that they may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at at the end of 12 months. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace at Babylon, and the king answered and said, It is not it is not this great Babylon which I have built by mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the king has departed from you, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And several periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claw. At the end of the day, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. Praise honored him Who lives forever. For this dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the habits of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does he does according to his will among the most of heaven, the hosts of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. Or say to him, What have you done? At the time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty spent the return to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This was a reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Join me
1: in prayer. Father God, we come to you before your word, and we ask that by your spirit, you would show us Christ, you would show us our hearts, that you would lead us to humility, that you would lead us to the humble king, Lord, and that you would establish us once more in humility, but in righteousness and mercy, as we find ourselves in light of the good news of Jesus. We humbly ask this in his name, amen. So we continue in Daniel in chapter 4. And we find here that uh, we begin with the ending. And so some of us know stories or movies that start out like this. Uh, One thing I'll use as an example is a movie that I think many of us are familiar with. Let me just draw it out for you and see if uh, you can pick up on it. The movie starts, similarly like today, you know, I thought it was a sunny day, but if you watch it again, the opening scene actually It's cloudy and a little bit gloomy, and you can tell that the sidewalks and the roads are wet. But the scene opens up, and from the sky, is slowly falling and drifting and finding its way, a feather, to a certain place. And as this feather drifts and falls, we see in white lettering, Paramount Pictures presents, so forth, so forth, so forth. Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. The feather falls and continues to make its way around the town to give us a view of the context. It almost shows Forrest for a glimpse on the corner as it drifts, and soon as you think, where is this feather going, it's whisked away and falls at the feet of one Forrest Gump wearing his famous Nike Cortez, and he's sitting there on a bench waiting for the bus. And we start the story of Forrest Gump here, and it's the ending. He's already kind of arrived. He's in a suit. He's dressed nice, and he has his most prized, loved, iconic sneaker. and the feather falls. He looks at it curiously, picks it up. He opens up his suitcase, takes out a book, and places it inside that book, which happens to be Curious George. As he waits at the bus stop, a lady sits down and says hello my name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. He opens his box of chocolate and of course says his famous line, do you want some chocolates? I can eat about a million and a half of these. My mom says life is like a box of chocolates. And in this opening scene where everything is pieced together so beautifully, it's hard to imagine as you're going through the movie, as it now takes him as a, a crippled and slow child, as he's struggling through life, as his single mother is going through all these things, with all the different things he experiences, it's hard to see how is it going to end up in this, with this happy ending. We see Forrest Gump even playing, going to college and playing football there. He becomes a war hero he starts a company, Bubba Gump Shrimp. He loses his friends, Bubba, Lieutenant Dan. He runs across America and becomes a celebrity. And through all these amazing and dramatic things, you almost forget. You're almost scared. Where is this going to lead? And you almost forget that the, be- the ending was already told to us in the beginning. And this is much like what we find today in chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins with the ending. King Nebuchadnezzar here addresses all the people and the nations and the languages. And he gives God praise and he exalts God. If you look with me here, this is what verse 3 says. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. This isn't our hero Dan, or the faithful three amigos. But this is King Nebuchadnezzar himself, the man who was once filled with such pride and power and desire for his own kingdom. And so we're told what the ending is going to be, and then it takes us in through a lot of dramatic, shocking, and almost fear-giving moments. And so we'll look at three parts, the dream, the fulfillment, and the final words. The dream. Now I know we're probably familiar with how this is going to go. If you've been with us at the start of the series in Daniel, we know that Nebuchadnezzar has to dream. Then he asks people to interpret the dream, and no one can, and so they call Daniel. Same thing happens here. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, a dream he has no idea the interpretation of. He calls in all his people. They can't do it. Finally, call in Dan. Daniel comes. He hears the dream. And this is what we're told in verse 19. That Daniel is dismayed. He's alarmed. He's scared. He is filled and flushed with fear about this dream. He says to the king, May this dream... Be for those who hate you, may it be for your enemies. And so I want to pause real quick because I know a lot of times as we've been moving through Daniel through the repetition, we can come too familiar with this, and we can say, "All right, here we go. Here's another dream, another interpretation, another interpretation that has some kind of application to us." But we, I want to pause and look. Look at Daniel. This man is shocked. He doesn't say, "Oh, here's another dream. What's this one going to be about?" He is flushed. He is filled with fear and awe, and he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, may this be for your enemies, may this be for those who hate you. It is daunting, our text today, and I think it's appropriate that we anticipate and feel to some degree the weight of what is about to happen. And so, yes, there is a bit of a deja vu that Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and you and I might be experiencing So the dream goes, Nebuchadnezzar sees a massive tree. This tree has grown strong and so big that it reaches to the heaven. We're told that this tree is in a pronounced place. It's visible to the end of the whole earth. This tree is beautiful and magnificent. Its leaves were full Its fruit was abundant. It provided food and shelter for all the living creatures underneath it, on the earth, and even in the skies above, so that the birds of the air had a place to stay. Yet Nebuchadnezzar sees a watcher, we're told, a holy one, coming down from heaven and declaring that this tree be chopped down and destroyed, only leaving a stump, which is then to be bound with iron and bronze. We're told that this little stump, bound by iron and bronze, having left its glory, his its magnificence, its beauty, is humbled now to the dew of heaven, and finds his portion with the beasts of the field, until seven periods of time will pass over him. And this is what Dan interprets. Dan says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are this tree. The God of heaven has allowed you to prosper, to grow, to expand your kingdom. Under your rule are many creatures, many sustained. Your kingdom is beautiful. But this was all God that gave you these things. He says, basically, unless you humble yourself, you will be chopped down to a little stump. You'll be wet with the dew of heaven, and you will eat and become like the beasts of the field until seven periods of time passes, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This is scary. This is daunting. This is not a good interpretation. This isn't a favorable one. This is an extremely humbling one. Daniel once more finds himself in the position, speaking to the king, God's vision, and telling him, King Nebuchadnezzar, you must humble yourself. Imagine if you had to do that. Imagine if I had to do that, to tell even the president, not only the king and the superpower reigning kingdom of that world, but if we had to tell someone so much greater in stature, Hey, you have to humble yourself. But that's exactly what Daniel was called to do. In Daniel 4, he gives the call to repentance to King Nebuchadnezzar. If you look up with me, this is what he says. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Break off your sins. Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Receive this counsel. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel was saying, heed my words. Submit to it. It's not my authority. This is what God has shown you. Turn from your ways. Do not continue in your course. Break off your sin. Humble yourself before God. It says, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and showing mercy. And we know even though Nebuchadnezzar isn't a Christian or a follower of God, although he is simply a ruler of a kingdom, even he is subjected to the sovereign and holy God who rules and has all things under his control. And he says, King, live righteously before God. Deal mercifully with those who are oppressed. Know that everything that you have has been given to you by God. And break off your sin. Break off your pride. Break off the sense of, I was the one who did this. I was the one who built this kingdom. I gave these peasants food to eat. I gave them shelter. They must be grateful to me. Why don't they respect me? So forth and so forth. And we see a pride in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar that is being targeted. And I think it's very obvious here where the Lord is pinning us. He's pinning our pride. He's pinning our sense of entitlement. A warning for us today, friends, is that we too are called to break off our sins and to repent that was the dream and the interpretation, and we, we will see it fulfilled. If you look at Daniel 4 with me here, 28 to 33, I want to read this for us, because this is, this is the, the, the fulfillment and the fruition of this vision. Because right before this, Daniel said, basically, repent, and this won't happen to you. Take my counsel, King. Humble yourself, and this won't happen to you, and you will be able to be prolonged, in your prosperity, repent, king. And, and we're told what happens. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. 12 months has gone by. You guys ever dabble with sin and after falling or, or stumbling, you're like, All right, I didn't die. Nothing bad happened. I didn't get in trouble. Maybe I'm good. Maybe God didn't see it. Maybe it's okay. How many of us, oftentimes, when we stumble with sin, feel like we've gotten away with it? Although we've sat Sunday after Sunday to hear the call of repentance, we thought, you know what? Maybe all of that is just just Christian nonsense. Maybe, that, maybe, maybe, maybe God really doesn't see me. How many of us have just gone through our days only to be humbled sometime later in God's choosing to be pinned down? We're told that 12 months has gone by since this vision. And you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar hearing this interpretation from Daniel and saying, You know what? It's been 12 months. Nothing has happened. I'm good. This was just a bad dream. We continue. So he's walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence And for the glory of my majesty. He looks out, and we have some documents that say Babylon was a beautiful place at this time. Two of the wonders of the world are here. They have the hanging gardens that are layered, and it looks like from afar that it's just hanging and it's suspended, and it was a beautiful sight. They also had this beautiful wall that was also known as one of the wonders. And so you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months after this interpretation, almost forgetting about it, almost dismissing it, walking on the roof of his royal palace, soaking it all in, and look at all I have created. Look at all of this that I have done. Look at this beauty. And the text continues, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to those whom he will. We're told immediately The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claw. How many of us have experienced that scary moment when we are just at the fullest bubbling of our pride and in that very moment we've been humbled? Maybe maybe it's... Something our wife says to, to us to remind us, honey, stop. Maybe as we're speaking and coming down on someone, like our children, they show us our own hypocrisy. Maybe it's in that moment where we're so angry and bitter and we are just speaking with much bitterness. We find that we have put our own foot in our mouth. We're told that Nebuchadnezzar here, upon looking on all his glory, relishing it, celebrating it in his own heart, as the words were on his lips, they are humbled. The great king Nebuchadnezzar, who thought he was a god, is now reduced to a mindless beast, to a creature. The one who thought he was the creator of all these things is now reduced to a mere creature. The one who walked high on the rooftops of his kingdoms eating the fruits of his labor are now dwelling in the low fields and the pastures, eating from the grass that God waters. The one who was groomed and clothed with purple and gold is covered with his own hair and outgrown nails. There was no glory left in Nebuchadnezzar but utter humility. Now I want to pause and mention something about humility. In our sin, I think sometimes we can view humility as something along the lines of embarrassing someone or shaming someone. We think that pride and humility happens in such a way where humility just utterly shames and makes them guilty and makes them look foolish. And, and, And it has that effect... But humility isn't simply there to chop down or to destroy someone. Humility isn't just about being embarrassed or shamed. But humility happens when we realize who we truly are. And ironically, just as humility is humility, it has this silent but, but, Deepening effect, where it strips one of everything they thought they had, and it, and it has a way of reminding them, perhaps through shame, perhaps through embarrassment, but has a way of turning it all and reminding them who they truly are before God. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar experiences as he is made like a lowly beast. He's humble not just because he was made like a mindless beast to eat of the grass of the field or that he lost everything, he's humbled because he realizes that he was never a god that he was always just a creature under God's dominion and rule and his kingdom he's humbled because his outer now resembles his inner it reminds me of fairy tales you know like we we know beauty and the beast the, the beast was cursed because he was so cold-hearted and selfish, he was cursed to be a beast so that, so that his inner would also be shown on the outside. Now, I know many of us maybe aren't as grandiose as princes and kings, but if we're honest, we all think that we are gods in our own way. And all of us universally struggle with pride. I've learned that the quiet, meek ones probably struggle with pride a lot more than even the loud and boisterous ones. We all struggle with pride. Some of us look at our bank account and we think we are the gods of our finance. Some of us refresh that app and we say, man, look at all that I have required. I'm sitting good, I'm looking pretty, it looks stable. Some of us look at our home and its furnishing, and we think that we are gods of interior design or beauty. Look at all these things I have pieced together and collected. Some of us look at where we stand in our companies and feel that we are gods over these underlings who have to do what we say. And oftentimes in our hearts, we lord it over them or we're harsh on them. Some of us look at our children. About how well dressed they are, or educated they are, and how provided they are, and we are fooled into thinking that we are their gods. Some of us look at the church and see how much we serve and how much we give, and we think that we are gods of this church, that this church couldn't run without me, my service, my time, my money. But, friends, we are called today to humble ourselves, to heed the counsel of God's word, to break off our sins to practice righteousness, and to show mercy. But I want to highlight another aspect of our hearts. As we're called to humble ourselves, this isn't a call just for those who have much. Because a funny thing pride does, it also shows itself as we bitterly shake our fists and judge others for having more than us, right? Meaning pride doesn't just come out for those who have it all, but pride really rears its ugly head when we don't have certain things that we think we deserve. Success and pride, or the lack of success and having not much, doesn't make us humble. When we have all the things that we want, Or when in our hearts we desire so much and can't have it, it makes us like beasts, undignified, unhumane. And that's the irony. Because we think the more that we acquire, the better dressed we are, the better educated we are, the more that we have, the more that we accrue, that we are somehow more dignified, more prestigious, more civilized, more honorable. But the truth is, apart from God, the more that we gain from ourselves, we turn more into beasts and animals who are harsh with one another. Humility turns us back, if I can say, into humans. Humility turns us back into humans. One psalm I I find myself being counseled by a lot, and it probably shows the, the level of pride in my heart, is Psalm 73 and if you look up with me, this is the context, Psalm 73, the psalmist is writing this because he looks upon the world, and he sees all these unrighteous and wicked people, and he sees how much they are prospering, and all that they have, and he sees, and he thinks to himself, man, their life is good, they don't go to church, they don't follow God, they don't make sacrifices, and look at them, they're living large, they're eating delicious foods, they have all that, he, all that they want, and that pride starts to come in the psalmist's heart and this is what he writes he says when my soul was embittered, bitter when I was pricked in heart I was brutish and ignorant he says I was like a beast towards you God and I find myself confessing this before the God of heaven before my heavenly father often the times when I feel like I'm not receiving what I think I deserve When that pride swells up and the bitterness starts to bubble up once more. I'm reminded of Psalm 73 in this verse. That I am acting like a beast towards God and to others. You ever look at someone's life and go, oh man. They have the perfect little life. With their perfect little homes and their perfect little children. They have it all. Brothers and sisters, that's our pride coming out. That's our pride rearing its ugly head. Jealousy is an expression of pride. Coveting is an expression of pride. More often than not, through the sins that we struggle, whether it's temptations, with lust, whether, whatever it may be, it's, there's a pride of I deserve better. Let us heed the call of God today to break off sin, to humble ourselves, this is the final words, the last point. The final words of our text in chapter 4 ends with Nebuchadnezzar himself. Look at verse 34 with me. At the end of the days, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. He lifts up his eyes to heaven. What were we told? We were told that until he knows that the God of heaven, the most high, rules all things, that Nebuchadnezzar will remain like a beast. And he says, I lift my eyes to heaven. You can see this man who used to have everything. is now eating grass and, and wet and his hair is growing out. and his, He looks like a savage beast. His nails are grown. Whatever seven periods of time may have been, you can imagine this man. Utterly humbled, looking up into heaven and realizing, I am just a creature. I am just a man. And we're told that his reason returns to him. Isn't this true, friends? We are most reasonable when we are humble, right? We're not most reasonable when we're angry or when we're on and we're trying to accomplish a mission as fast as we can, as hard as we can. We are most reasonable human beings when we are humbled and know that God is in control. He continues and he says, none can stay his hand. And here are his final words in verse 37. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble I want to share with you, I've read through Daniel and and particularly this text over and over again. In our staff meetings, we read through Daniel. And every time I read this line or hear it, it scares me. It puts me in awe. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let Let me conclude with just two things here we're reminded this morning that God is above all things and he is able to humble. Meaning, if you and I are wrestling with pride, or if you and I are just out there unrighteous and merciless, then he will humble you. At the same time, if you find yourselves under oppression, whatever form it may be, under a merciless boss or situation or context, trust and believe that God is over those things too. We're reminded in James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Friends, let us humble ourselves before God today. The second and last thing I want to conclude with is a reminder that Christ is the true and better humble king. We know that Christ did not have to humble himself, but he chose to. And as Philippians 2, 6-9 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And we see here in Christ the creator, the true creator, who became like his creatures to save them. Though in Nebuchadnezzar we have someone who thinks he's a god, who thinks he's created all these things, become a humble creature, we see the true king, the true creator, humbling himself being and becoming like created man so that he can save them. So that Christ on that cross would break off our sins. So that Christ on that cross would practice and give to us righteousness. So Christ on that cross would show us mercy. So that Christ on that cross would remind us that he loves us and he shows it by way of utter humility, by giving up his own life for us. The call today isn't simply to stop being prideful. It's not a call to just humble yourselves. But in order to do those things, the call is ultimately to Christ who has first humbled himself, who has first become like a creature, who has first broken off our sins, imparted to us his righteousness and shows us continual mercy. So let me end with the main point here, if you look up, to turn to Christ, who makes us righteous and gives us mercy. And remember, friends, for those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. Join with me in prayer. Father God, we know that the very thing that pride does is shut up our ears and our eyes and stiffen our hearts. We know that the very thing that pride does is combat against any call to slow down and to submit and heed To humility. We know that the very effects of pride is to say, Well, that's not me, that's him or her or them. And so, Lord, we confess, because we see all these things in ourselves now, that we are prideful. And we need your spirit to soften us, to open our ears, to open our eyes, to give us through Christ a spirit of humility that we would even be able to hear this morning's call to come to Christ who makes us righteous and gives us mercy. That this morning that we would find ourselves even desiring to submit to the mighty one of heaven who controls all things, who has all the days of our lives written in his book. So we ask, Lord, this morning, even some of us who are so anxious and afraid, we confess that that's because of our pride and our desires. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to look up to heaven in humility and know that you are the God of heaven, that you are the God of all things, our lives, our children's lives, all the affairs and matters in our life. And you are the one who is sovereign over all things. So humble us, Lord, and we do ask that if it can be, that it would be done so gently by the touching of the Spirit this morning. But if not, Lord, humble us, whatever it may take, that we may see Christ's glory and attain what is so much better than anything we can have in this life, but to secure in Christ eternal life itself. Would you show us our humble Savior, that we may trust in him once more for our salvation. We pray this in his name. Amen.